There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white. So go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 18 Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Blog Talk Radio. What's up, Rams fans? This is Van Ram. You're listening to Turf Show Radio with me as always. My partner in crime, 3K. How you doing tonight, 3K? I'm hungry. What? Are you hungry for some Turf Show Radio? That'd be be a great appetizer. Or maybe that's the entree. I don't know. I haven't really looked at the menu. But that'll work. That's a good way to start. That is a good way to start. And then we can can wrap up some Turf Show Radio and we can head out and fire up the old grill, huh? Mmm, delicious. I got mine ready, man. I got the charcoals ready. Ooh, nice. Pop. I've already, well, I've already popped open the beer, so that's not an issue. But, you know, I don't have yeah. to wait on that. Okay, big week. <laughs> is, is it gone? Has it disappeared on you? I, I really don't know what happened to it. I just turned around, and all of a sudden it was six empty bottles. K-I, M-I-A, it was K-I-A. <laughs> oh, rest in peace, <laughs> fat tire. That's right. That's right. 3K was a big week. Rams opened the season this week. Um, yeah. You know, we've we've written a we've covered the Arizona game upside down, left and right, front ways and back ways. Um, anything else that needs to be said about the Arizona game? It was a tough loss. Other than that. Yeah, you know, I think we've gone through it, and that's one of the things. You know, now that we got Turf Show Radio this year on Saturdays, what did we do it last year? I think it was Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah. Week. And one of the things now is by Saturday, you know, it's in the past. It's so old hat that it's difficult, you know, to to revisit it and feel like there's much left to say. I don't, I don't know what le- what is left to say about that game. There's not too much left to say at all, my man. Um, what, just real quickly, surprises for you. Pleasant surprises, negative surprises. One thing that kind of you're taking away from last week's game heading into week two here. I'd, I'd say a positive surprise was the way we blitzed. I thought we did a good job uh, disguising the blitzes, mixing them up, and I think that showed itself in the kind of pressure that we got on Derek Anderson, some of those extra hits, uh, roughing the passer or not. But we, we were able to get, you know, I thought some pretty good pressure on him using those blitzes. If I could pick a negative, it would almost be the opposite. It was the run defense. Uh, you know, that touchdown drive that they had in the first first half was really built on the defensive line and specifically the def- the defensive tackles. But I, I just didn't see the linebackers really getting involved and in trying to fill those lanes as easily as they could have. Now, Hightower and the Rod Stevens-Dowling were doing a good job, or Howling, excuse me, did a good job of using their cutbacks to open up their own lanes. But the, I just wasn't very impressed with the run defense, and that was a bit surprising to me. No, and, it, you know, it, and it was as a unit, it had done fairly well for most of the game. But, boy, they just they got gassed for, what, I think it was 76, 77 yards on that one drive. And it seemed like a lot of those runs came on the outside with – you know, you got some ends that are kind of not picking up their man, and you got some linebackers that seem like they were chasing, chasing, chasing in space a little bit more than they should have been on those runs. You go back and look at the tape. That was um, that's something you know they're going to have to watch this week. Now the Raiders will probably be without Michael Bush, but McFadden is no slouch when it comes to the running game. He put up nine, hung 95 yards on the Titans last week. Now some of those were kind of garbage time yards, but you know, and he did, but he did, uh, you know, he did nevertheless manage to to carry the ball. Uh, you know, about 20 times for 90-plus yards. So that's something the Rams are going to have to be aware of this week. You know, I, I guess for me what, what really stood out is, is is the positive is the pass protection. I'm really happy with the pass protection. I think there's a lot that the team has to build on in that department. The the, the negative I took away is, is the the receivers. I mean, you know, it, it's it's a unit that's, that's uh, I, you know, I don't know if it's a development thing. I don't know if it's a... Uh, if it's just maybe these guys aren't the aren't the best group of talented receivers in in the league, but um, they're not. That they're concerns not. me a little bit. It concerns me a little bit. Now we'll see Brandon Gibson in uniform this week, and that's a guy who has got got a significant amount of playing time last year. Um, I, you know, I'm hoping that Gibson kind of goes out there and then reminds us 
what he showed us in the New Orleans game last year, working with Bolger. He's got Bradford this time around. Hopefully, that'll be a little better deal. So I, you know, I, I guess those are the two things that I really walk away with, other than the obvious big headline story that is Sam Bradford. Sure, and I mean, I think those are good surprises. When when we talk about the receivers, I think you have to put it in perspective. The Rams haven't the Rams haven't made a whole lot of effort to bring in talented receivers outside of Donnie Avery, you know, a second round guy. That, that was a big loss in the preseason, and and it's not that yeah. he's disappointed. And I know he's going to get the bus tag just because he hasn't had huge seasons, and obviously he's missing out on this one. But the truth is, a guy like Donnie Avery needs to be incorporated as a system wide receiver. And yeah. having a guy with his kind of speed that opens the field up for other people makes the group more productive. Whether or not he's doing things, if you can push him downfield, it's going to force safeties obviously to draw his to he's going to draw their attention and do things. Without a talent like that, you're looking at guys like LaRon Robinson, Brandon Gibson. These are depth guys, and we're pushing even Mark Clayton, who we signed. We're pushing them into roles that they weren't originally assigned to just because we don't have somebody at the top that can draw that kind of attention. And, and I think it's one of the things that you do when you draft poorly, you have to deal with some of the heat. And not because we kept on trying to fill these spots where we did draft poorly, now we've ignored almost our wide receiving core to the point that it's, it's going to hurt the team this year. But everybody's looking at it moving forward as something that we need to improve, if not in the short run with a guy like Vincent Jackson. I don't know if we're getting there soon, but I know we'll get there today. Yeah, and I, you know, I, we might as well just hit it right now. But I, I, and a cursory scan around the internet today, I didn't see anything new on the Vincent Jackson front. Now, of course, you will realize having read the coverage on Turf Show Times and elsewhere that there's kind of that loose window between uh, it was yesterday, Friday the 17th, and a Wednesday the 22nd, end of the day on the 22nd, close of business as it were, that teams have to swing a deal with the Chargers and have Jackson available by the fifth game of the season. So, you know, there's some incentive to get the deal done in that window. Now, if they get it done after that window, obviously they can still make a trade. I think at that point he's going to miss six games rather than just four. So it becomes a little bit, you know, that might swing some value in return in terms of trade value and then what have you there. But, uh, you know, I, I certainly think if it's going to happen it's probably – in everyone's best interest to make it happen prior to Wednesday, whether it's the Rams, the Vikings, the Seahawks, the Redskins, whoever. Um, you know, we'll see. Uh, you know, I, there's part of me that just like, do it. Let's just do it. Let's go out. Let's get the guy. I mean, that's going to wrap up most of your free agent budget next year, if there is a free agent, free agent season, because who the hell knows what's going to happen with the CBA next year. I was going to say, if there's an NFL season. A draft, an NFL season, all that stuff. That's a... Uh, I, you know, you, you kind of wonder. I mean, that's that's another subject we'll be covering that a lot on Turf Show Radio as the season drags on. I hate to, I hate to, I hate to put a black eye on, on a good start to the year so far, though, by bringing up labor management issues. It's always so fun. But I, you know, there's really not much else to say about Vincent Jackson. I, I'm, you know, what there's. It's just kind of you wait, you know. We've parsed the idea of what he would bring to the Rams. I think he would bring a lot. There's an, Obviously, there's a cost involved in that in terms of draft picks and resources tied up. Um, you know, it's the same thing we talked about with Jackson last week. Sure. And, I mean, this is something we brought up. I think the first time I brought it up, I linked to that comment sometime this week, was in November. In November, I brought up the idea that he would be a free agent. Now, they went ahead and put him on a contract, but obviously he's – unhappy enough with the entire situation that it's pushing towards a trade. Um, and we've talked about the benefits, you know, like you said, but the truth is it, what it comes down to the Rams in terms of investing, whether it's investing money or investing graphics, whatever kind of capital they choose to invest in, it's about timing. You know, the the franchise is, is squarely on the shoulders of Sam Bradford. And the question becomes, do you want to invest in a guy who now is a number one wide receiver while your franchise quarterback is a rookie? Or do you want to invest in the number one receiver who's going to peak two years from now when your quarterback should be hidden, essentially the, fr the front end of the cusp of, his, uh, of the high end of his career? It's an interesting question. It's one of the things that makes or breaks general managers. You look at a guy like Roy Williams who was brought into Dallas, I really believe that's what cost Dallas a Super Bowl. I don't think they're going to win it this year, and it's because they sacrificed so much capital into Roy Williams, and now they have Miles Austin and Des Bryant. So they essentially wasted all those draft picks on somebody that doesn't matter. It's a completely different situation in St. Louis, but it's still the same kind of idea. How much are you willing to invest in terms of the timing? 
and, and that's really what yeah. what is most interesting to me. And I don't know the answer. It's going to play itself out probably over the next week, like you said, by Wednesday. But it's an it's an interesting move, man. Yeah, it's something to see. I mean, that's for sure. But uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, I know there's a lot of people on the site. They're you know kind of swing both ways on it. So. We'll see what happens. I, I'll be honest with you. I don't get a real good feeling that the Rams will be a contender for Vincent Jackson. Um, it just kind of doesn't seem to be in their in the style that the, the team that management's been, you know, handled it with so far. So we'll see. I could be wrong. You know, this is a this is a this is a front office that that likes to that likes to swing the deal. So you never know. So yeah. we will see. I guess. It's going to be interesting. I love the talent. It's just a matter, you know, when you sacrifice a second-round pick, if we were to take, and people talk about the draft, if we take that wide receiver next year in the first round, that's somebody who syncs up with Sam Bradford's timeline. Vincent Jackson's ahead of it. Now, I'm not denying he's the number one. I love the guy. I think he's a great talent. It's just a matter of bringing in somebody who's that talented before Sam Bradford is, let's say, capable of making the most out of that talent. It's not an issue of talent to me. And obviously, I, th- I think the asking price is appropriate, if not undervalued, simply because you know he's had these kind of off-field issues. So oh, absolutely. And, and to me, it's the issue of timing, and it's really, really interesting to see how Billy Devaney's going to play it. It's, it's a fun story to watch. Yeah, and you know, you're looking at a Rams team right now that, you know, one thing that does stand out to me is that last week, and, and and still looking at it this week, it's a team that. It's got some real talent in some key places in it. And now you're looking at the draft. Yeah, there's some areas where we still need some more talent. Wide receiver we've mentioned already, and I'm sure we will keep mentioning it until next April. But wide receiver, defensive line, um, you know, safety is probably an area. And, and this is – I'm really excited to talk about draft uh, future draft picks playing – Today, because you know another need I think the Rams are going to have to consider in next year's draft, offensive guard. I mean, I really think that's going to be a priority for them too. You know, I was thinking about but, that this week, Van. You and I—it's it's two people, one mind. It's amazing how we it work. It is. You know, thousands of miles separated. That's what makes the site so great. I mean, that's absolutely right. But you know, and you're looking at a team now that. Here, but I, I don't want to ruin Tershow Radio by breaking into song, so. Let's <laughs> keep going. Hello. Well, if we have any talented musicians out there that are Rams fans, we have the L.A. connection, so it's possible. So, I play the loop. Uh, you can hit us, hit us up. Hey, you know we got Nelly in St. Louis, so we got there's talent here. There's no question about it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Um, you know, I, what I was going to say is with the draft, uh, one more draft like this, and and. The Rams are going to have, you know, if their batting average from these last few drafts continues into 2011, I mean, you're suddenly you're talking about a team that's really pretty well fortified with some talented players and in key position. And then you're also starting to get depth. You know, the guys that are rookies and second-year guys now are, are, are further along in their career. Somebody like, you know, like a Jerome Smith, who we're going to see this weekend as the nickelback was in a, against Oakland. I mean, that's a... You know, that's the guy next year, the year after that, you ought to be really counting on for, for depth, if not a starter. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, that's kind of what's exciting about the draft now. Before, you know, the last few seasons has just been, you know, we got to get these kind of cornerstone pieces in place and move forward. And now it's, you know, now we're starting to get into this. It's like, well, now we can pick guys and, and build depth and build really strong units where if you do lose a starting player, you've got a great guy to step in and take his place, you know. So uh, that's uh, that's kind of the opportunity cost you're talking about with a trade for for something like Vincent Jackson. It is. And I'll cover your back on this one. I know you meant Jerome Murphy. Golden State of Mind jumped in on the blog talk radio chat. We got it, Golden State. We know. Wait, what did I say? Jerome Smith. It's all good. We got a lot of Jeromes and Jasons. It's the J names that often. Hey, at least you didn't pull a Fletcher Bradley, man. It could be worse. But, you know. Well, exactly. And I. And I tell you, that's another downside. If you have Vincent Jackson, you've also got Steven Jackson. That's going to be confusing. It's a it's a matter Jackson of time before, on Jackson we get a, action. before we get a Jason Jerome Jackson, and then you know, at that point, I'm going all acronyms. But the the point you made is is square on the head. The truth is, the guys that we have, the core, of the nucleus that we have, just isn't there yet. You know, we had a comment in the 
in the Tertio Times on the TSR thread from Y-S-T-E-R. I don't even know how to say it. Easter, Easter. And he said he couldn't watch the game last week. How did James Laurinaitis play? And the truth is he played decent, but he's still a guy that's developing the, the core of his game, which is technique. Just like Jason Smith, just like Roger Saffold, just like, you know, Bradley Fletcher, Bradley Fletcher, Fletcher, Bradley. Just like, you know, all these young guys that we put together, there's a lot of talent on the roster. But as a team that leans so heavily on its youth, there's going to be struggles. Now, obviously, not every team struggles like 1-15, in but we didn't have the experienced guys there to buttress and help out the younger players in terms of moving ahead. And like you said, you know, in the future, these are the guys that are going to become that core. But other teams already have that core as they try to develop their youth, especially the best teams, you know, teams like the Ravens, teams like the Cowboys, teams like the Saints, teams like the Colts. They have the older core in place so that as they bring in the young guys, there's a safety net there. We had no safety net whatsoever. And that's because those years of drafting, Brian Leonard, Joe Klopfenstein, Ty Hill, all these kind of picks that that netted us absolutely nothing left us without that safety net. And now we're trying to do both at the same time. And it's almost impossible to do in the NFL uh, in in terms of a one, two-year time span. Now, over the course of time, we're going to see that this talent is going to rise and we're going to come back at least to mediocrity, if not to be a very, very successful team. It's just a matter of how we manage that transition. The early returns, I really like what we're getting out of the young guys. Even Ron Bartell had a hell of a game last week. Um, oh, yeah. It's just a matter of time. It's a matter of time and staying healthy. And so far, you know, one weekend, it's a silver lining on a pretty demoralizing loss, but we're going to get there. I'm still confident we're going to get there. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, speaking of young talent, we've had kind of some uh, – there's some more injury news to pass along today. Um, Clifton Ryan will not be – is not making the trip to Oakland. He's having some wow. migraine issues. Clifton Ryan, defensive tackle. He's not the starter anymore, but he is, you know, an important guy in the rotation. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they do use him against the runs. That's, I mean, it's it's a – it's not, you know, kind of the equivalent of losing Stephen Jackson or, you know, James Laurinaitis on the defense, but it's a loss to be sure. I mean, that's uh, that's uh, something the Rams are going to have to contend with. They've also, it looks like they have um, they've waived Thaddeus Lewis, and I suspect they'll sign into the practice squad, um, but they waived him so they could clear the roster spot and bring Marquis Johnson up. Uh, so that they can have four healthy cornerbacks this week against Oakland. Because as you know, Justin King's going to be a game-time decision. Um, Kevin Dockery is out. Kevin Dockery, as you know, starting nickel. So Jerome Murphy's going to be in the starting nickel job most likely, um, not Jerome Smith. <laughs> so uh, that's, uh, you know, that's an issue. That's an area that, you know, we've talked a little bit about the linebackers that they've lost this week, and those are, you know, key special teams guys. I think, you know, it, it seems like maybe they've kind of brought in Brian Keel, who's another good special teams guy, so hopefully it won't be. And they've got Dominique Curry that they're probably going to address this week, so hopefully special teams won't notice too much slack after Hull and Chamberlain are both out. Hmm. Um, but, you know, the, the cornerback situation is one to watch this week. That's a, that is interesting. I'm glad it's happening against the Raiders and not, you know, some of the other teams that we're going to see later this year, not the Saints or anything sure. like that, for God's sakes. But, um, you know, it's a tough loss either way. And this is where, we, you know, we're yeah. talking about depth. This is the key area for it here. Especially when you're talking about corners because we're so young at the position. You know, past Bartell, you know, you're looking at your three corners, or even four if you had Justin King, who still is obviously incredibly inexperienced because he lost that year. You got Brad, Bradley Fletcher Bradley. You got – Jerome Murphy, and Marquise Johnson, who between the three of them have one half of a season of NFL experience. You know, it's just not a situation that lends itself to, to injuries and being able to replace injured guys there simply because we, we're leaning on so much youth. It goes back to that point, to, to what I was just talking about. Where other teams have youth and they have a safety net at multiple positions that they can deal with, we don't. So, And I apologize yeah. if everybody can hear the baby in the background. She's just really sad about cornerback injuries. It really disappoints her. <laughs> Um, well, you know, the solution, you're going to have to get her out in the yard and kind of start, you know, going through some of those pass defense drills, 3K. So. We, we were working on her 40 time this weekend. It's looking better, but her oh, hips are still too high. So. Start with the fundamentals, you know. She's still a baby. Start with the fundamentals. Then you can kind of come up and work on interceptions and ball skills. 
and I, I really should be jailed because everything I give to her, I'm trying to put in her left hand uh, in case, you know, southpaw, curveball, I can get that contract. I'm, I, you know, if she, child services is listening, you don't know where I live, so disregard. <laughs> Absolutely. Bad, bad, bad man. Hey, I, you know, I, the, the most disappointing thing about watching my son get older is we found out he's right-handed, so. There's, there's worse things, man. He can play. He can still play yeah, quarterback. Absolutely, absolutely. So we're gonna, we're gonna have to start. It just means it just means more work. That's all. It just means more work. And <laughs> hey, there's nothing. A little hard work can't overcome. There you go. Um, you know, speaking of uh, you know, the quarterback thing, we saw last year what happened with, with Bartell not at full speed, and inexperienced guys, and kind of bottom of the depth chart guys. Filling in, I mean, you know, the the Rams got burned on passes a lot last year. Sure. So, I mean, you know, it's a risk. It's a risk. Um, well, and a lot of it was a lack of talent, too. We had guys like, you know, Quincy Butler filling in. And obviously when you looked at the, the team this year, he didn't even end up making it simply because we had added so much more talent. Uh, a third-round pick in Jerome Murphy didn't even factor in almost. And he probably could have gone in week one, but there was no reason to push it simply because with the depth in signing Kevin Dockery, the development of – BFB, I keep going back to that. I got to get something easier to call Bradley Fletcher. Um, <laughs> but we had much more talent, and it, you know, despite Steve Breston's big game, I thought we did a, a pretty good job against a Cardinals team that has shown it can pass this ball, especially when you got a number one receiver like Larry Fitzgerald, who probably had what maybe his worst game of 2010. I know it's week one, but it's hard to look at that. Uh, hard to look at a guy like Larry Fitzgerald and expect that he's going to have a worse game than what he did against the Rams. So you got to credit the coverage, not just Ron Bartell, but as a unit, of doing such a strong job against Larry Fitzgerald. It was it was as good as it can possibly be. Yeah, and, you know, that's another area. You, you can't mention the secondary without mentioning the safeties. And the Rams are pretty solid at safety with Otagwe and, and uh, Do- Craig Dahl at strong safety and, and Ron Bartel, I mean James Butler. I'm sorry, man. I'm all over the place with player names today. It's all good. You know, it's I, all good. Safety's man. a strong position for the Rams. <laughs> yeah, you do. And you know, we always have somebody that somebody will post a correction online. That's the beauty of having the website. You know what I mean? It is. It's self-correcting. It's <clears throat> democratic. But yeah, I mean, strong safety is a is a position that we could look at maybe next year, maybe two years from now. But, you know, Butler and Craig Dahl, they're interesting guys, and they're good role guys. But I, they're, they're liabilities in coverage and pass coverage. I like them in the running game, but they are liabilities in pass coverage. But neither of them are really, really incredibly talented in terms of raw talent athleticism. So it's definitely a position right. that we could look at even starting next year. But in terms of this year, they're, they're important components to have. That You know, Butler's got a little bit more experience. He's familiar with the system, having been with the Giants and uh, working with Spagnuolo. And, uh, well, you know, and he's he one of those of, players. He's in a lot of other positions, and he's just not as raw. He's not as undisciplined as some of those things, as some of those pieces. So he's going to be an important guy to have around, certainly in the in the short term, if not the long term as well. No, oh, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, you're, you're a new coaching staff. You bring in a team, and and the Butler, the James Butlers of the world. Those are guys that are important to bring in because they, uh, you know, they help you get the program up and running. Yeah, maybe they're not the best. It's just you know, it's the office management theory too. You take over an office, you got to get a program up and running. You bring in people that you can trust them, you know what they're capable of, you know they're going to get the job done. Even if they're not necessarily the best at what they do, they're good enough for the time being, they're good enough to fill in and get the system up and running. And that's James Butler. Sure. That's Craig you, Dahl. You I mean, that's You can't just fill in an entire that. roster, an entire depth chart with first and second round picks, you know, pro bowlers. No. At every position, it's just not going to happen. You have to pick and choose your spots. And I think – that's one of the things the front office has done best is that they've looked at the middle linebacker, quarterback, offensive tackle. They've gone and hit the positions they needed to hit in terms of rebuilding this team and building the core so that as we move ahead to the future, everything else builds around those positions and those guys. And so far the returns validate what they've done. You know, Jason Smith and Roger Saffold, they didn't get a lot of credit, I didn't think, this week at TST, especially for the job they did as as you know, a rookie and a second-year tackle who missed so much time in his rookie season. Yeah. I thought they did a great job in terms of offensive line. Now, sure, there are still issues to work on, whether it's, you know, blitz assessment and, and making sure that they pick it up and communicate enough to pick those blitzes up and hand things off to the running back, 
or the run game. But still, for two guys that have so much inexperience against a, a three-four front with those front seven that the Cardinals have that are as talented as they are, I thought they did a hell of a job. Absolutely, and you know that's a Jason Smith one. The quarterback one he allowed one quarterback hit on fifty-eight dropbacks. That's pretty impressive. He had a great game. Yeah, absolutely. And so does Seth. I tell you honestly, the weakest the weakest part of our offensive line last week was the middle, and you know that's where you've got your experienced guys in there. And then so it's just you know it's an ebb and flow. That's a tough Cardinals front three to go against. I mean, for anybody, and then that's uh, sure. you know, they held up well in pass protection. Obviously, the running game. Now this week is a week that uh, you know Richard Seymour is going to be out for Oakland, so that's a uh, you know that eases the kind of in the trenches matchup for the offensive line. But Oakland, you know, not a bad run defense at all. I mean, you look at Chris Johnson; he had one breakaway 76-yard run, and that's the whole thing I realize with Chris Johnson is that you know he's one of those guys that you've always got to account for the threat because he has the speed to just break it open at any given moment. But you, know, you take away the 76-yard run that he had, and, and the the Raiders' run defense, you know, held him in check fairly well. Now, of course, that involved stacking the box and, and keeping, you know, eight guys up in there and allowing Vince Young to compile a 142 passer rating. So, sure. you know, it's a give-and-take thing. And I think the Rams are going to have a similar game plan as the Titans did last week. You've got a dominant running back. Now, Steven Jackson and Chris Johnson, obviously different kinds of players, but Steven Jackson is a dominant running back, so that's going to force Oakland to really kind of account for him. And and I'd like to see the Rams obviously start with a heavy dose of Steven Jackson, um, you know, just to kind of make them justify putting eight men in the box and then, you know, work work in the passing game a little bit more from there. But it's a similar game plan for me you know, in terms of what, what the Tennessee Titans did against the Raiders last week. I mean, I think the Rams are going to take a similar approach. Yeah, it's be on that. The, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that first quarter plays out. I mean, last week it was almost like they were trying to take advantage of, of the the assumed reality that Steven Jackson would be so heavily used in the first quarter that, you know, the Cardinals wouldn't have to worry about the passing game, and that obviously wasn't the case. We came out firing. I don't Like you, I – I think, you know, this week you got to go back to Steven Jackson and let him open the game, uh, put it on his shoulders the first couple of drives, because those first couple of drives are going to be huge. This is a game where both teams know that either one of them could win it, because neither the Raiders yeah. or Rams are really, really strong teams. Though they have some solid youth, they're, just, they're nowhere close yet. Um, so really this game, to me, is almost going to be determined in the first half, and it's really going to be determined in the lines. It, if you look at the defensive ends for the Raiders, I'm not scared by them. So if you allow them to do to, to control the passing game, and especially in terms of bringing anything in terms of the outside to Sam Bradford, uh, that, that's going to change the entire game because that's a situation that the Rams shouldn't have to face this weekend. It should be dealing with the interior line and creating that pocket for Sam Bradford. In the running game, it's a similar idea. You've got to open up the interior for him to deal with. Now, they got Rolando McClain at middle linebacker. He's incredibly talented. And, yes, he is raw, obviously, as a rookie, but he's somebody that I don't want to deal with. So if you open up the interior, you've got to have a second-level game plan to deal with him. If they can do that, if they can make something happen in the first quarter, maybe even the second quarter, if it's still competitive at that point, yeah, I, I don't see why the Rams can't lean on Steven Jackson that first half to open things up and then go to Sam Bradford. Yeah, absolutely, and that's a, that's going to be an interesting matchup. Now, you know, obviously you talk about the Oakland defense. Um, you know, the one player that merits a conversation all of his, his own with Oakland, and I really feel bad Nandy. for the guy for being trapped in Oakland. Yeah, Nandy. Nandy. For being trapped in Oakland for the last seven years, but you know he's an amazing cornerback. Obviously, that's going to be a big concern with Sam Bradford. You kind of look at uh, you know Adrian Wilson. I know as a, as a safety, but you know Nandi's a guy that they'll play at safety. Nandi's a guy that it sounds like they're going to have kind of all over the field, especially against the Rams, where it's not so important that you know you stick a cornerback on a receiver because obviously the Rams don't have that kind of Randy Moss number one wide receiver type guy that demands constant coverage from your best cornerback. So, uh, you know, this is a guy we're going to see all over the field, and that's a uh, – that'll be an interesting matchup for Sam Bradford, more so than the receivers out there, because uh, that's a guy that can that can, that can can hamper a passing game. 
Yeah, I mean, he's he's as talented as they come. The interesting thing to me is twofold. Number one, how do the Raiders choose to choose to use him? You know, we you, you mentioned that we don't have that kind of number one receiver that warrants his attention throughout the game. If they choose to move him across across the field and on different receivers and different looks, then the most interesting thing to me, and maybe the most interesting thing about the game is, how does Sam Bradford his his awareness affect the game? You know, he's a rookie quarterback. He doesn't have that much experience at the NFL level, obviously, but he's played college. He's played football since he was a kid. He understands as a quarterback one of the most important things you can do is Peyton Manning style, analyze the field. Understand what's going to happen so that before the play even develops, you know what's going to happen. It's just a matter of whether or not everybody else does their jobs. And to me, yeah. knowing that you've got a cornerback like Nandi Asimov out there, Bradford needs to know where he is at all times. So, you know, If he's going to drop back, you've got to know where Asimov is, and you've got to understand that chances are you can't look at his side of the field for the first, second, you know, maybe even third uh, receivers when you're going through your checkdowns. It's just not something that lends itself to a lot of production when you're dealing with a cornerback like that. So it's going to be interesting to see how he comes out and controls his role when you know that there's a cornerback like that that you're throwing up against. Throwing yeah, up absolutely. Against. And that's the, throwing against? That's maybe the guy not throwing up. I don't want to see Bradford throwing up in his second game. but <laughs> Either way, throwing up, you know, throwing the ball up or barfing. You know, it, it would way. it would make it would make for a great video on VT Rams fan. You know, analyzing his form as he chucks up, approaching the line, full wretch. <laughs> now, unless it's one of those full wretches where after you wretch, you're just like, ah, yes, I feel great. But, you know, you know and then ESPN not... goes, oh, it was just dry heaves. He's not he's not ready for the NFL. He's just not not ready. He throws out a shoulder on it. <laughs> I don't even joke about that, 3K. That's blasphemous. Um, yeah, that's going to be a really uh, – um, that's going to be the guy to watch and, you know, where he goes because he's the guy that can obviously move around the field pretty well without, you know, you, where he's lined up might not be where he ends up once the play happens and once the ball's released. So um, it's definitely a concern. It's definitely, um, you know, the Rams aren't going to be able to turn it over. I mean, obviously that goes without saying in any game, but – you know, you limit the turnovers, and, you know, with a team, when you're playing a team like Oakland, um, you know, limit the mistakes, and you up your chances of winning pretty good. So limit the mistakes and execute. Finish plays. If you get the turnovers, punch them into the end zone. If you get the, you know, if if you fumble the ball, make sure you get it. You know, all it's just that stuff. Execute, execute, finish plays. Yeah. Um, switch to the other side of the ball because there's one matchup I do really like, and we mentioned the aggressiveness of the Rams' defensive line. I think they've got a real opportunity this week. Now, the Cardinals' offensive line I know is not super special. Levi Brown's not the world's greatest left tackle. Well, you're matching up against an Oakland offensive line that was absolutely terrible last week, and they're going to be without their best offensive lineman, left guard Robert Gallery. Um Opportunities for the Rams front front four three K. They're going to be there. They're definitely going to be there. It, you know that's one of the scary things is that, is with a with a line like that. You know expectations are always going to be low. So when you go against an offensive line that is without you know as you noted a talent like Robert Gallery that played as poorly as they did last weekend. Now you actually have expectations, and the question becomes: Is this a defensive line that can take advantage of those situations? I've been vocal about my own opinion as to the quality of our defensive line. I just don't think it's a very, very strong defensive line, but we mask that, let's say, inadequacy with some various blitz packages and some quality blitzing last week. I still think you've got to bring that. I know, I know there's probably a mismatch here between what the Oakland offensive line brings and what our defensive line has, both in terms of experience. You know, you got guys like Fred Robbins. Gary Gibson did some great things last, last week and last season. But I still think that you've got to run through the blitz to make sure that, that Jason Campbell is uncomfortable. You know that Lewis Murphy and Darius Haywood Bay are going to be hungry to try to get themselves on track because they didn't do much last week. Darius Hayward Bay has still been really disappointing both last season and last week. They're going to, they're going yeah. to come out and say this is an opportunity, yeah, oh, one of those rare opportunities to really fill it up and, and put things back on track, not only for the teams but for themselves. And I think we've got to be wary of that. And it starts up front with the defensive line. It's an interesting matchup. 
Yeah, it is. And you know, you talk about receivers. Another guy for Oakland that has the that is he's he's a good player. Is tight end Zach Miller, and it's a guy you know the Rams are going to have to be aware of this year. They're going to have to they're in this week. They're going to really have to you know account for him in coverage. And so some of that's going to fall on the linebackers. It's going to fall on the you know the safeties a little bit there. The strong safeties, especially, it's going to be a, a you know that's not that's another guy that they're going to have to kind of shut down against Oakland. Now, I mean, I mean, Campbell's a guy that struggled and you know was a decent quarterback playing behind a bad offensive line in Washington last year, and he's moved on and he's in a situation in Oakland where he might be playing behind an offensive line that was worse than Washington's line last year. So, I mean, you know, this is a guy that. If, if you can get him off his game a little bit, it, it's going to create some opportunities. So uh, it's a, uh, you know, hopefully we see the aggression we saw last week against Arizona, and I think it pays bigger dividends this week against Oakland as opposed to Arizona. But we'll see. There's a lot, a lot riding on it. It's not as easy as that always. So and they'll be without Clifton Ryan. So there's one less defensive tackle they have in the mix. And like I said earlier, Clifton Ryan, he's not the pass rushing specialist. But, you know, it is depth on the defensive line, and you hate to lose a defensive tackle that has been a reliable guy since since coming into the league. Sure, and you, you don't always need to have great pass rush specialists. I mean, we saw in the fact that Fred Robbins had last week. That sack was yeah. created by the blitz scheme. You know, when, when we sent the extra guys up front, Arizona left Fred Robbins all alone, and all he had to do was take a free run at the quarterback. You have some solid coverage for that first second and a half, and he had a free sack. So you don't have to have pass rush specialists. There's other ways to deal with that as long as you're strong enough in the other areas of the game. Jason Campbell is a guy that, you know, he's talented, and what worries me is that he plays smart because he knows what his – he knows what he can do, and he knows what he can do with limited receiving options. He did it in Washington. I know Washington fans may take umbrage with that, you know, Santana Moss and Antoine Randall L, but – They've proven themselves not to be the greatest of receivers. Donovan McNabb showed that, you know, despite what he's done in Philadelphia, even last week against the Alex Barron full Cowboys. (laughs) Fun time, fun moment for Rams fans. You know, but he showed that, look, you know, even with Derek Anderson, it's not always about the wide receivers. A lot of times it's on the quarterback. And Jason Campbell plays smart. He does. But he's in a situation now where it's going to be very difficult for him to succeed. And I think that, like you said, there's somebody we really got to get after. And if you can isolate the game onto Campbell's shoulders, then you do a good job of isolating what it is they can do offensively. Uh, you know, they've got athletic wide receivers. They've got, a, they've got great depth at running back, something the Rams obviously don't have. But if you can just isolate the game to Campbell in terms of his decision-making, he'll throw the ball away. He'll take the sack. He'll make the smart play, the conservative play instead of throwing it away. And that allows you to really put the ball back in your offense. And for a Sam Bradford-led offense, that's really all you can ask for in year one. Yeah, and, you know, the 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 Raiders will do, and Campbell will do a lot of that kind of those short passes if they're not, especially, I think, with the receivers they have. And, what, sure. you know, what they, what they did against Tennessee last week was a lot of those short passes and tried to make some yardage, tried to make some gains after that. And, you know, the guy that really – McFadden again was the guy that really I mean he had 55 yards in the in the passing game and he was really and he was the most targeted receiver for the Raiders last week so that's a guy that you know they're going to really rely on to try to get some offense going whether it's you know on the rush or or in kind of the, the dink and dunk passing game that frustrated Rams fans so much last year. I was going to say we talked about but, dink and dunk for our offense but if unless I'm confusing it the Raiders averaged less yards per attempt than we did. So that's even more dinkier and dunkier, you know. But that's part of the problem with with not having enough talent on offense, especially a wide receiver and quarterback, is that you can't really stretch the field. You know, you saw Larry Fitzgerald. He was getting targeted downfield. A lot of times he was open, but Derek Anderson just wasn't making those passes. You know, without without enough talent at quarterback and wide receiver, you've got to you got to keep it simple. You got to bring the entire offense back and work real short. Now Bradford showed a willingness to go down there, whether it was the that post downfield to the corner post that he threw to Clayton where he made the play, the big third down where Clayton dropped the ball. We know Lauren Robinson is going to get better looks. But the dink and dunk still has to exist. you still got Steven Jackson. you got Danny, Danny Amendola who did his thing, obviously proven that he's a capable member of this offense moving forward. Those guys, you've got to work in short, but you've got to be able to stretch the field to other guys if you want to be a real potent offense. We're not there yet, but it's still important to try to, to at least make that attempt. For the Raiders – you know, you you've got to show that you've got Hayward Bay at least on the field. 
You've got to stretch yeah. the field. It's going to be important for the Rams to recognize it and make sure that we that we don't allow, you know, that momentary lapse where all of a sudden Hayward Bay is wide open 30 yards downfield just because we're not paying attention. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's another thing, too. You talk about the dink and dump passing game, and that's a, also, I think, is a product of the offensive line. I mean, that's something we saw last year with the Rams. I know it frustrated everybody. And, and, and you know, for the most part last year, save for maybe a stretch of four games, our offensive line was terrible. And now we were opening up a little bit more last week. You know, they were taking some of those downfield throws last week. And and I think, you know, the better you get in pass protection, the less you have to just force feed the ball out as fast as you can, even if it's two, three yards down the field, because, you know, your quarterback's going to get hit and sacked no matter what you do. Now that's something that Oakland's really going to have to contend with because they do have those issues on the offensive line. You, you know, you got Mario Henderson at left tackle. I mean, that's a... That's a, it's a good matchup. It's a good. Uh, it's a good, you know, way for the Rams to take advantage of that. So I, I think. Uh, sure. I think it'll be an interesting game. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, yeah, you know, I, I want to go back, back on the what, injuries. Just real quick, one go thing to talk about in terms of those dinks and dunks. I went back. I watched the game in its entirety probably two times and chopped it up a couple other times. But one of the things Bradford was doing, he was checking down really, really quickly. And I think part of that is because he's not comfortable with the offensive line and, the, and not assuming that he's going to get enough protection to go through different reads, to just wait, wait, and wait out plays until receivers, you know, go through that second, third level of coverage and finally get open the same way other quarterbacks have done to the Rams. It's going to be important and interesting, but more so important, that Bradford learns the timing that he has with his offensive line, that is able to, you know, accept how much time offensive lines are going to give him on whatever play it is he's called so that he can wait out as long as possible to make plays. You saw at the end of the first half, Bradford waited, 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 then created as he as he ran out to the right and found Lauren Robinson in the end zone. Obviously, that's not the way it's necessarily scripted as soon as the wide receiver makes that break, but the longer and longer you wait, the greater the chances are that you're going to have somebody open. It's just a matter of time before Bradford and his offensive line, especially if this offensive line develops more capability, that he's going to be able to make more plays as he's able to you know, develop it with more time. Yeah, and that's something too. I, I uh, this week I don't know if it's you know week two. That's that's still pretty early in the season, obviously. But you know one thing I, I am kind of looking forward to with Bradford and the Rams offense this year is it's just kind of uh, functioning a little more seamlessly as a unit. I mean the offense, the quarter, like you say, the quarterback knows kind of what time and what what his offensive line is going to allow him to do. He knows where his receivers are going to be. He knows where he can you know the best places to hit those guys down the field in the you know in the middle of the field. You know. That's something I think that the co- that unit cohesion that kind of develops, and, and you know Bradford's a smart, smart quarterback, and I think that'll come come to him, you know, more so than it does other players. I and I look forward to seeing that with him, provided everybody can stay healthy, of course. Yeah, and you know that being said, I want to I want to bring in another series that we've done before, and I think it's going to be important to keep it on Turf Show Radio. Absolutely. Van, I, I want to bring back 3K's wife, and, and right now I want to bring in one of our favorite guests, my wife, and asking a really important question. Wife, knowing what the Rams showed us offensively, and, and specifically on the offensive line last week, what do you think we have moving forward? This is a group that hasn't been injured thus far as opposed to other groups, knowing you know the kind of run issues that we had on the offensive line. Jason Brown arguably was the worst of our offensive linemen, despite the fact that he's probably the most tackled. What do you think about our offensive line moving forward? Thank God they're not on my fantasy team. You don't draft offensive linemen on fantasy. Hey, that was another episode of 3K's Wife. All right, good stuff. (laughs) Good stuff, as always. As always. You know, 3K, it's – you know, we've we've said a lot about the Oakland game. Final thoughts? Predictions? You know, I'm he- I'm hesitant to predict the win, but you got to. This is a. If you showed that you could beat the Cardinals, you've got to believe that you can beat the Raiders. If we get off to the to a good start, to a good start, especially running the ball in the first half against the Raiders, there's no reason we can't win. That being said, they're at home. Uh, you know, we've shown a proclivity to make errors on the road, especially crazy errors, and we had plenty of those in the first week where there was the. You know, the run back, the fumble recovery that was almost a touchdown, the Bradley Fletcher fumble recovery that might have been a touchdown, you know, this play, that play. It was pretty wacky at times. 
if I'm going to make a prediction, you know, I'm a Rams fan, man. I'll be the homer. I'll go Rams, I don't know, let's say 27 with two field goals to 17, a field goal from Janikowski. Nice. Nice. I, I like the prediction. I, 3K, I'm feeling the love, too, I'm going to have to say. I like the Rams this week. I'm going to say 24-14. It's pretty, that's pretty close. That's pretty good in terms of a consensus. But like I said, two people, one mind. Van, I really, feel that, I really feel that spiritual connection to you all the way out here. It's a meld, man. It's a meld. It a meld, mind meld. <laughs> so with that, let's switch it over. We've had some good college, good exciting college football games today. Lots of potential future Rams on display. Three K, start us off. What, what what are your first thoughts on college football today? You know, I've been flipping around some different games. I had to watch my soccer game this morning, but I've been flipping around some different games. I got on the Florida Tennessee game right now. You know, as I look at it, I'm kind of concerned about this next draft. You know. I think it was Rick Gosselin from Dallas Morning News went back and looked and, you know, looking at a draft, went through the entire draft 2009 and saw that, look, there just was, it wasn't really, really stocked with talent. And I'm starting to look at it and fear that that may be the case next year. Now, obviously, in terms of first and second round, you're always going to have talented guys there regardless of the year. It's just a matter of filling up your team in those latter rounds, which the Rams have failed to do in years previous, but most recently have been able to do. And I'm just kind of concerned as I'm lo- as I'm looking at a lot of these, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth round guys. I'm really starting to look at them and say, eh, not this guy, not this guy, not this guy. And I'm wondering, well, where's the guy that's going to step up? It's an it's an interesting day for college, and an interesting week. But you know, you tend to have those weeks. It's a long season in college, just like it is in the NFL. But that that's the feeling yeah. right now. I'm starting to think that 2011 may be a down year for the draft. What are you thinking? Well, you know. I- Here's one thing I was looking at with the with the 2011 group of player prospects today. It, it seems to be kind of cornerback heavy. Is that a fair assessment? And are they are they so. legitimate cornerbacks? I mean, you've got that. Uh, yeah, here's another name. I'm just going to totally butcher, but Prince. Dallin. Um, oh, big Prince. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I want you to try it first. <laughs> well, I don't have it in front of me, so let me let me let me call it up here. Prince, uh, yeah, that's it. That's the guy's name. Um, Let's just call him Prince Amu. How about that? Prince Amu, and and you know he's a guy. And I see the um, the cornerback from LSU is another guy that you know some people Patrick think might Peterson. be a better. Awesome. Patrick Peterson, another uh, one, a name I can pronounce, but uh, um, you know <laughs> might be the better cornerback to draft than the Prince, so to speak. Um, I don't know. I mean, I haven't seen enough of these guys, and I'm not obviously a professional talent evaluator, so we'll leave that to the draft experts. But what do you think? It's definitely, at this point, yeah, certainly heavy with cornerbacks. you got Razai Dowling, Prince of Okamara mm-hmm. from Nebraska. you got Patrick Peterson, uh, Janoris Jenkins from Florida. And one of the things about cornerback is that it really takes experience because guys, you know, so early in their careers show the kind of raw pro- things that you're looking for, whether it's side size, speed, agility, you know, that kind of acceleration. A guy like Trevard Lindley last year showed that he had the raw abilities going into the season to be a real cornerback, and throughout the season he just showed that he didn't have the technique and especially his hips and, and his shoulder awareness to, to make it to the next level, and I think he dropped down to the sixth or seventh round. So in terms of d- discussing cornerbacks at this early, outside of the real top guys who in my mind are Prince and uh, Patrick Peterson at LSU, it's difficult. I, I'm hesitant to go out there on, on that limb. I really feel Dowling is somebody that could slip. Uh, even Janoris Jenkins at Florida. Uh, I'm not entirely sold. He's been real strong. Even today he had a decent game. But it, it's weird. And the thing is, you know, when you look at cornerbacks, and even as a Rams person, as a Rams fan, it's hard for me to watch cornerbacks because I just don't think we're going to draft a cornerback in the next three years. So knowing no, that, you know, I don't pay a lot of attention, and, and especially to the third, fourth, fifth round. Especially a first-round guy. But you know, yeah, we did we mentioned we mentioned we mentioned the Prince and, and that's in the, the Nebraska Washington game going on, which Jake Locker, by the way, four for twenty, two interceptions. Four for twenty, two interceptions. Jake Locker. But uh, um, you know, we've talked about this. I was never sold on Jake Locker yet because his issues were always the kinds of coaching and mental issues that take time. His physical traits are what made him a potential number one guy. 
You know, he's got a strong yeah. arm. He can move with the ball. He's very athletic, and he can run out of the pocket. And that's why in my last mock draft, I put Andrew Luck up number one because I love what he does in terms of decision-making. A guy we were talking about earlier, your quarterback, Ryan Mallett. You know, he's still got some issues, certainly, but I love his decision-making yeah. process, his awareness. And I told you I, I've still got an issue with his release at the end of his release, but he's still a guy that I think once you've got the decision-making issue down as a quarterback, you've got a future ahead of you that you can build on. And, and you know, as long as you've got the physical prospects. A guy like Tim Tebow, who's a physical anomaly, that's completely different. But, you know, when you talk about quarterbacks, the first thing to me is awareness and that kind of decision-making process. That's what made Sam yeah. Bradford a number one. That's why I really like Andrew Luck. Absolutely. But, you know, the guy with Nebraska, in the Nebraska-Washington game that I kind of was watching is, is defensive tackle Jared Crick. He's And he, he looks like a dominant talented. player. I mean, he doesn't look like, you know, in Dami Kong Su or anything like that. Because I, what I don't see from him, and I haven't watched a lot of Nebraska. You know, obviously you got to watch a lot of tape with Su last year because he was so hyped. But, you know, I haven't seen enough of Crick to know. One thing I noticed with Crick is he doesn't seem to be kind of the astute pass rusher that Su was last year. I mean, he doesn't seem to be kind of that dominant pass rushing guy. But he is pretty stout and pretty tough at the line. I don't know, though, if that – you know, is this an Adam Carriker 2.0? I mean, well, part of it I don't is the quickness. And Dominic Sue was special because he had the power and the quickness and the technique that he could attack, yeah. the, attack offensive lines in three, four, maybe even five different ways. You know, Dominic Sue was arguably, you know, since Reggie White, and I didn't see Reggie White until he was in the NFL, the most dominant defensive lineman at his level I had ever seen. Jared Crick's a little bit different. He's very, very, very talented, but his quickness is an issue. I don't think he's going to have much of a problem as a pass rusher, but that first step seems to me to be a little bit slow. Like Gerald McCoy, I thought, had a great first step as a defensive tackle. You know, I don't see that out of Jerry Crick yet. That's not that's not a slide on him. He's incredibly talented, but it's one of those things that you need to work on in terms of developing your jump out. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, there's another – uh, a guy I was looking at with Alabama is uh, Marcel Darius. Darius. He's incredible. He's... <laughs> I mean, you know, talk about a defensive tackle. Now, if there's a guy that, I mean, he seems like a first-round talent to me. I don't know. I mean, the mock drafts all kind of seem to have him as a first-round guy. But that seems to be a guy that, you know, could be definitely on the Rams' radar, depending on where they pick in the draft next year. Sure. And the thing is, is it's hard to project him because he's so big. He's 6'3". I think he's listed at like 280. And so as a defensive end, he's almost too big. And, you know, part of that reflects itself in his mobility. I don't think he's the most mobile guy. But he's certainly strong enough and aware enough. His, his play awareness is really strong. And that's what, that's what Alabama's defense is, is built on, and that's why they were so successful last year and even the year before, despite the fact they didn't have a national championship two years ago. You know, Darius yeah. is the guy we're going to see in the NFL. He's incredibly talented. The, the only issue I have with Darius at this point is the second move. You know, he's, he's very strong into his first move and very committed, but a lot of times something you see out of Chris Long is that his second move is almost as effective as his first, and that's really important yeah. for a lot of successful guys at the NFL level because you've got to have that kind of commitment to laugh throughout the play. I just haven't seen him that much. Now, Alabama doesn't have to deal with it that much because our defense is so talented. They can finish plays before defensive linemen have to make that second attack. So he's somebody worth watching, though, definitely. Darius is a talented, talented defensive lineman. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned this earlier, 3K, is a position I think the Rams are really going to need to look at in this draft this year is, is offensive guard. Now, whether that's a first-round guy or not, I don't know. But, you know, just all kind of depends on where they pick, obviously. But um, offensive guards that come to mind. And now some of these guys you realize may not be offensive guards. Is Mike Pouncey a center for Florida, or is he playing guard in Florida? Well, he's playing center, but he's muffed another snap earlier today, and that's been an issue for Florida earlier this season, so I wouldn't be surprised if they moved him over a spot. You know, if we're talking like about guard. guard. Yeah, I mean, he plays similar to a guard, but, you know, centers and guards is a somewhat easy transition to make, especially if you can snap the ball. But one guy I'd definitely say, especially if we're thinking about it second round, he might even slip to the top of the first, is Rodney Hudson out of Florida State. Really, really strong guy. He yeah. extends his arms as well as any guard in college football right now. He remind, His play reminds me a lot of Mikey Potty from Idaho last year. Really, really, really talented guy. And I'm going to be interesting to see how the hype builds behind him going into this draft, knowing that guards and interior linemen last year 
we saw, I think, two of them, right? Yapati and Pouncey both round. in the first round. So it's going yeah. to be interesting to see if you've got a guy like that who's proven that he can be capable as an interior lineman where the hype builds for him this year. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and here's another guy I had on my cheat sheet today, and he's a Wisconsin guy, is John Moffitt. He's, you know, now he's interesting. He seems more I just kind of that power guard as opposed to the athletic, nat, all-natural, you know, kind of do-it-all guy. But, you know, he seems like a good – and we've, we've had some discussion earlier in the year about, uh, you know, Spagnolio liking a big, beefy guard, you know, to go up against kind of those, you know, the, the Williams brothers defensive tackle type, such, you know, sure. matchups like that. I mean, that's, that's a guy that's not a first-round pick, something to have on your radar. Yeah, not not yet, but, you know, it depends. A lot of it is systematic. When you look at how certain teams run their offensive lines, like you talked about, that's something that we look at. But we're definitely not as big of an offensive line as other, say, Dallas Cowboys, who are notorious for having just huge lines. Mm-hmm. Moffitt's an interesting guy. My my issue with Moffitt is his lateral movement. I've only seen one game this year, but I saw four last year because John Clay, the running back, is just fun to watch. He's, he's you know, he's linebacker shape at running back. He's huge. But, yeah. you know, what I've seen from Moffitt is that he can deal with, you know, your standard inside runs and maybe even an off-tackle run, but he can't pull as well. He has difficulty, he has difficulty sliding off when he's dealing with a, either a nose tackle or even a defensive tackle playing at the, the two technique and sliding off that guy and coming up to the second level and moving laterally. So, you know, he's still somebody that's interesting. I just wonder if he, he's going to be able to be used as a left guard or if he's just a right guard, what that means in terms of his NFL draft stock. Well, and you know, honestly, you know, you could argue, you make a strong case either way, you know, as, as far as the Rams need a left guard or right guard. Now, you know, I don't, Jacob Bell, I, you know, we'll see what happens with Bell this season. I mean, to me, he's got to stay healthy to kind of be a viable, to be a viable part of a 2011 Rams team or a 2012 Rams team. Right guard's position, I, you know, I, I like Goldberg there. I think he's a good guy, but I mean, you know, I think he could do better at the same time. I mean, I, you know, Goldberg's a good player. He's a solid player. He's a hell of a guy for effort. You know, he can play. He's a valuable guy to have because he can play multiple positions. But, you know, I, I think you could do better at right guard. And, that's a th- I mean, that's the thing about our guard positions they're, is they're almost polar opposites. Bell is a very talented guy, but he's had issues with his consistency and his mental effort, and not in, the, not in terms of is he putting forth the effort, but how he applies that effort. We saw in the concussion in the preseason last year, it was just really, really, really sloppy technique. Uh, you know, he, he got up too high, and as he ducked his head down, that's how he created the concussion instead of getting lower, you know, what Alex Barron failed to do in the Cowboys game and driving through. That's just something you can't afford, especially at the NFL level, but even at left guard. And when you got Goldberg yeah. on the right side, that's a guy, like you said, he's full effort, he plays very smart, he understands how to play offensive line, which is why you can move him along the offensive line, that versatility you spoke about. But he's not incredibly talented, you know, he's just not – He's not as strong as a lot of other guards. He doesn't move as quickly, despite, you know, that they're all 300 or so pounds. So he's not incredibly talented in terms of raw talent, but he's certainly a, a, definitely a guy I think you've got to keep around. You know, you speak about his versatility, his understanding of the game. It's almost like having a, an assistant offensive line coach uh, on the roster. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Let's talk about, uh, you know, I – We've talked about A.J. Green, obviously, so the, obviously the, probably the top wide receiver in the draft. A couple guys, you know, I watched the Arkansas game today, and here's a guy that kind of stands out to me a little bit, but Greg Childs. Childs, please, Childs, please. I mean, he's, he's interesting. You know, part of the problem, especially in college, is that you don't get a good sense, and part of this is because you have to watch it on TV. It's how they deal with the routes and you know, knowing Nebraska, the kind of offense they have, it's so important for their wide receivers to come out of their first break cleaner. You know, a lot, a lot of double moves from wide receivers that you see in other programs isn't as important for Nebraska because they're working a kind of quicker offense than a lot of, like Arkansas, for example. Arkansas, because they got a quarterback like Ryan Mallett, is willing to work that second move in. Nebraska, not, not as much. So it's going to yeah. be really interesting for me to see a guy like Childs. If he does make it to the next level, and i still got to go back and watch some more from him, how he deals with his first break and how much effort he puts into that, knowing that his offense is predicated on Yeah. Hey, you know, let me, let's, uh, what about this Michael Floyd from Notre Dame? I haven't seen, I haven't seen him play at all. Um, I, you know, he's just a guy whose name pops up for me. So, I, you know, I'm asking you here. I, I don't know. I haven't seen the guy. Is his, he's, he's a guy that you know, seems to be fairly well regarded. 
he is, but he's got the raw talent. He's got great top-end speed and better acceleration than a lot of his peers. He's got great body control. He, he, he runs solid routes. Part of that is because of acceleration. My biggest concern with Michael Floyd is his hands. You know, he he can yeah. do so much of it so well, and his body control is solid enough that he doesn't make, to me, as many plays as he should. Now, that being said, he's in a Notre Dame offense that if you watched Notre Dame-Michigan last weekend, it's it's really not that strong, especially without Jimmy Clausen now. But he's certainly, to me, a top two-round prospect simply because of the physical specimen that he brings, his athleticism, and, again, his body control. You know, when I talk about body control, what I'm talking about is, like, if you if you imagine the play that Mark Clayton made on the sideline last year and being able to put yeah. your body in a position so that your hands are able to make the play, that's a very difficult thing to do. Mark Clayton's uh, great at it. That's why he's had such a long career, despite the fact that he makes so many drops. That's what I'm concerned about with Michael Floyd. But he's definitely, definitely talented. Now, a guy like Julio Jones, if you saw it, his hands are – I love his hands, you know. Yeah. Or or even A.J. Green. A.J. Green's got good hands, but he's so much faster and quicker than everybody else. That's what puts him at the first round. They're really different kind right. of candidates. And even Jonathan Baldwin, who's up there in that top echelon, he's even different mm-hmm. because he's so much bigger. But – you know, you're talking about different kind of wide receivers. As we get closer to the draft, it's going to be interesting to me to see if we can hear anything out of the Rams, the Rams front office, what they want in a number one wide receiver, whether they want a stronger guy. You know, if you know, we talked about the dink and dunk offense. If that's something that they don't really want to change, then there's a certain kind of wide receiver you need to go after. You know, a bigger guy that can really make a possession style move, like a Keyshawn Johnson or something like that. If they want a guy who can really move the ball downfield you know, somebody that's a, a bit faster that can still play the number one role, that maybe you're Julio Jones, A.J. Green is the kind of guy you need to go after. It's just something that it, it depends on how you want to organize your offense and what roles you want your wide receivers to assume. Yeah, well, and, you know, I, the, if the Rams are serious and they're kick, really more than just kicking the tires on Vincent Jackson, they're really asking the questions, you know, about the trade to make it happen. I mean, to me, maybe that tells you a little bit about what they want in a wide receiver. And Jackson's a guy, you know, I mean, he's strong. He's got the good hands. Sure. I mean, is, is that if that's the prototype of guy they're going to be looking for, then you know, you go into the 2011 draft. Who kind of matches up with that? Is that AJ Green? Is that Julio Jones? I mean, I don't know. You know, it, it, it honestly, I'd say end of the first early, or the early second round pick that we end up with. That that's to me where you can get a guy that still fills that role. A guy like Julio Jones or AJ Green. It's so athletic that he's going to come at the top of the first. We saw Des Bryant slide to the back of the first round. We've seen other wide receivers just like that drop into the second round, and it's because, you know, the top of the first, when you get a wide receiver up there, it's somebody who has a bit of everything, but especially that speed. You know, Vincent Jackson isn't isn't really a speed guy. He's got good top-end speed, but his quickness isn't what his game is built on. So Right. You know, if we're looking at those guys, you know, Michael Floyd's a candidate. He's interesting. Jonathan Baldwin is so big. That certainly, especially as a red zone candidate, is going to be interesting. I think I think a lot of it depends on what we get out of guys this year. If LaRon Robinson turns in a solid season, if we get something out of our tight ends when Homano Wanui comes back, whether Fendi Anabun sees the field or not, I think those are going to have a lot to do with what kind of what what our expectations are from our wide receivers in the future. Yeah, absolutely. You know, 3K, we, it looks like we're about at our hour time mark here, and I'm starting to get some evil eyes about getting the grill going. So We're already in overtime, I'm, man, so I, I think I'm with you. I need to get it late. i, I got to get some meat. You see, here, here's the, the sequence of events. Beer, football, meat, bourbon. So it's almost see, time for I the just poured the bourbon. The so I, I'm Ooh, going nice. bourbon. Let's see. Bourbon, meat, football, no, let me change it. Bourbon, meat, bourbon, football, bourbon, bourbon, and that signs bourbon, sleep. I'll go with that. Ooh, that's that's quite a plan. Maybe throw a cigarette in there and it's perfect. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> me neither. It's hard. I go back in those days. I exercise now and I never want to, you know, I used to smoke. I never want to smoke anymore, but... I start exercising now. The first thing that comes to mind is like, man, I want a cigarette. Man, I want a cigarette. And that's cigarette. part of the problem man, is being. And I'm not going to say I'm athletic, but I'm in ridiculous shape. And so, you know, being in the army, I'm constantly leading these kind of long runs and stuff. And all I can think about while I'm running is, I really want a cigarette right now while I'm running. You know, I ran five <laughs> miles on Friday, 
and about halfway through, and, you know, most people five-mile run about halfway through, you're thinking, man, I'm kind of tired. And, I'm, you know, the nicotine addiction is running full speed in every corner of my brain thinking, man, I'd really like a cigarette during this run. That'd be great. <laughs> and that's more to do when you're in the park, like the public park running around, just to see, just to show, you know, to show off a little bit. Oh, yeah, I'm that good. That's what I'm talking about right here. Yeah, it really doesn't fly right, while you're in, you know, PT uniform in the Army. If you're no, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. I don't think it'll roll. So 3K? It's been a good turf show radio, as always. Um, We're a little devoid parting... of, of calls of our outside participation, but you know maybe it's maybe it's a one-off Saturday. Maybe a maybe a victory from the Rams against the Raiders will rejuvenate the TST faithful. It will rejuvenate me, I'll tell you that. It will rejuvenate much. all of us. We all need it. The Rams need it. You need it. I need it. We all need it. That's my parting <laughs> shot, 3K. Couldn't I've disagree. made my prediction. I'm ready to live with the results. I'm ready to sit down tomorrow and watch the game. That's all I can do from from here to there. Fair enough, man. Parting shots from 3K? You know, first off, I just want to say I really hope my wife's offensive line, apparently she drafted an offensive line in her fantasy league somehow. I'm really pulling for them. Uh, I've never heard of (laughs) offensive lines in fantasy, but, hey, it's 3K's wife. Second off, I just want to note, you know, while I am in the Army, I'm a graduate of the University of North Texas, and that was probably the most embarrassing, you know, loss that we've had. And I actually did watch some of the North Texas Army game. I don't want to talk about it. That's why I waited till now. But thirdly and most <laughs> importantly, this is the game the Rams need to win. I'm really excited to see what we do when there's at least some, some pressure on, knowing that we played as well as we did against the Cardinals. And, and I know that that's a qualified statement saying as well as we did when we lost, and there were missed opportunities. But this is a game that the Rams know that they can win. And with that kind of with that kind of expectation, you've got to be willing to put it on the line in every unit in every aspect. And I'm really excited to see what they do. Both of us predicted a win for the right reason, man. And so, you know, two words, that's all I got. Go Rams. Go Rams. 3K, as always, it's been a good show. We'll talk to you later. See you on the site tomorrow, everybody. Have a good Saturday night. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find this anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.